Our primary text this morning, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, is going to be Proverbs chapter 4. Just recognize this isn't a complete departure from Luke. We're continuing to consider what we've been looking at in the middle of Luke chapter 11, particularly these words expressed by this woman. We read in chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Father, I would come before you this morning asking that you would work powerfully uh, through your word, Lord, that you would awaken us to the tremendous treasure we have uh, being given the words of life, the word of God that points us to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would lift our hearts in faith this morning. God, I pray that you would save some from destruction this morning. And for those uh, Christians taking the wayward path, Father, I pray that you would bring them back this morning all through the power of your Spirit looking at your Word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to do something I rarely do. I rarely have a PowerPoint. Uh, A version of what you're going to see this morning I use often. uh, Counseling. Uh, And I couldn't help but after looking at last week's text, uh, Proverbs 4, uh, this teaching just kept coming back to me as we looked at Jesus saying, the blessed is the one who hears the Word of God and keeps it. And that word keep can mean guard. And in Proverbs 4.23, we're told that we're to guard our hearts for from it flows the springs of life. And so I wanted to dive uh, into this uh, this week, uh, not just as review, but to expand on what it means. If Jesus is saying the one who is with me is the one who keeps my word, hears my word and keeps it, what does that mean? What does that look like in reality? If I were to say to you, come up to you and say, are you insane? You might think, well, why? What, what, what have I done? Those words, desperately going to someone saying, are you insane, are given to people who, for example, a soldier at war that is sleeping in a ditch and they've been in a firefight for several days and they wake up and they leave their weapon on the ground and just kind of walk 
start walking around, start uh, looking at, oh, it's partly cloudy today. The soldiers might say, are you insane? What are you doing? And yet, I ask you that this morning, are you insane? You're probably thinking, well, I don't think so. Let me ask another question. Have you been in God's Word regularly? If you haven't been, my prayer is by the end of this sermon, you will understand why that is more insane than a soldier walking out into a battlefield with no gun, with no protection. Last week we, or the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus uh, who was just accused of doing his miracles by the power of Beelzebul, of, by the power of Satan. And Jesus, Jesus showed how that thinking was ridiculous. And then he culminated his teaching by saying, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's two groups of people in the world. Those who are against God and those who are for God. Those who are with Christ and those who are against Christ. It's a paradigm. You lay on this world. There's not a thousand different religions. There's two. There's a bunch that teach you can be saved by being good enough, some sort of morality, and another that says you're not good. Admit it. You have no hope. You need a Savior. You need Christ, and you're saved not by works, but by faith. It was surprising when Jesus said this because... The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious uh, uh, superstars, you could say it, were against Jesus. And if you would have been there, you would have been shocked to hear that those who tithe twice as much are actually against Christ. Those who pray twice as much, those who keep the law beyond what the law requires, are against Jesus. It was surprising. And then you remember a woman cries out, blessed is the fruit of thy womb that bore you. She's praising Jesus. She's saying, your mom's blessed to have you as a son. She's saying the right things about Jesus. And yet, Jesus... Jesus' response to that is blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. More blessed than Mary, she was blessed, but she was blessed because she believed the promise of God. So not the moral person is the one who's with Christ and therefore with God, and not the ones who say the right words about God 
who believe the right things in their head merely. They're not with Christ. Rather, what he says is, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's the charge of this message this morning. And I want you to get a picture of what it looks like to hear and keep God's word. Last week we looked at John 6 and verse 66 after Jesus had given some hard teachings. He said things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can not be my disciple. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. They didn't understand this was a metaphor for trusting Him, taking all of Him. But we read in verse 66, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. Peter, no matter what, is thinking, I can't leave the words of life. He's keeping them. He's hanging on to them. Even when the teaching's hard, even when it gets unpopular, the crowds cease to be there. It's interesting, Paul tells the Philippians that he wants them to live godly lives and to shine like lights in a crooked generation. And here's how he says they do that, holding fast to the word of life. Those who hold fast to the word of life shine different. I was trying to figure out how to how to introduce, how to bring the reality of how often we forget the blessing of God's word. And so sometimes they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm going to show you a quick video here of some Chinese Christians that are receiving the Bible for the first time in their life. Uh, the quality of the video isn't that good, but you'll get the picture. Give me Jesus. Give me
those students would say were insane. When we have access to God's word, we have access to public worship services where your life is not threatened in worshiping Christ. The value of having the words of life. How high are the stakes? Have you thought about how high the stakes are to live a life that doesn't cling to God's words, that doesn't cling to them? You can see in the notes I gave you that the charge is to hear and keep God's words and Number one is to understand that your life flows from your heart. You're saying, what does this have to do with God's word? Well, I hope you see and understand. What does it mean to say that your life flows out of your heart? We're going to look at Proverbs 4 today, and I want to begin by looking at verse 23. I laid out a bunch of Bible translations here, uh, all translations from the Hebrew manuscripts. But what we see, the reason why I lay them all out is sometimes when you lay a bunch of translations alongside each other, you get a full sense of the meaning. Let's just read them together. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Or look at the NASB. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Or the NIV. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Or the KJV. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is one of the first things, one of the first teachings I'll go through with anyone I'm counseling. Because almost nobody knows how their life happens. They know their problems, but they don't know how their life functions, but the one who created us tells us why we do what we do. The secular psychologist that doesn't know the Word of God doesn't have the advantage of knowing who's sitting apart across from them, how their life functions. If we're going to understand this verse, we need to answer two questions. What is my heart? If we don't know what the heart is, we don't know what to guard. And then we need to ask the second question, what does it mean to guard, keep, and watch our hearts? If you were to do a study on what the heart is according to the Bible, you will find that your thinking comes out of your heart. Now, we're not talking physiologically. We're saying when the Bible uses the word heart, 
It's speaking of the soul of a person. And a person thinks out of their soul. We're body and soul. And our thoughts come out of our soul. Not only that, within our heart is where we have our desires and our affections, our loves, our emotions come out of the heart. And not only that, but our actions flow from that. Your heart is always thinking. It's always valuing. It's always feeling, loving, hating, worrying. And then there's always an outflow that comes out of a person's heart. And it's within the heart that a person believes. If someone was going to ask me, what is faith? Faith is a bad word in English because most people just think thinking, knowledge, beliefs in the head. But if you're going to get a well-rounded understanding of what the Bible means by faith, you need to understand that saving faith is a faith that understands the gospel and trusts Christ, believes in him, knows him, but it's a faith that loves him, not merely knows about him. And it's also a faith that overflows with action out of our life. Here's how Jesus taught this. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Our thinking comes out of our hearts. Evil thoughts come out of our hearts. Now, there's some transition between all these three. They're not, these aren't hard, fast categories. But look at the next actions. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Those are all actions that Jesus says come out of the heart and are attached to evil thoughts. And look at the word coveting. Just run coveting through all the green words. Someone who is sexually immoral is coveting pleasure that they feel like God is holding out on them. Using sex outside of marriage, we're, we're not believing God's good, and so we covet more and commit sexually immoral acts. Or how about theft? Comes out of a heart that's coveting that which it doesn't have. Or how about murder? Think of Cain with Abel. Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of God's response to Abel. Think of adultery, coveting another person's spouse. Wickedness. You could run all these desires through sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. How about deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride? All this comes out of the heart. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart or out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So, if you have ever said an unkind word to a friend or to a spouse 
you've probably apologized in this way. Honey, I'm sorry, but I had a really hard day at work. I've been really tired. And I really didn't mean what I said, so I'm sorry for what I said. Jesus says, that is not a good apology. That is not understanding your life. A good apology would go like this. Honey, I'm sorry for that mean thing I said because that, because I meant it. Because Jesus says that all of our words come out of our heart. I have a bad heart. Will you forgive me? Will you pray for me? Nobody in marriage counseling comes in and thinks that way. Nobody comes in and thinks that they're accountable for their words as though they come out of their heart. So if you're going to look at a visual, Jesus is saying all these things come out of the heart of a person. Your life does not flow out of your circumstances. That's what fallen man thinks. That's what most Christians think if they're not reading their Bibles carefully. You got the couple in the counseling room. So I hear you through a pillow across the room and knocked the clock off the wall. What happened there? Well, she was doing this and this and this and this. And then, well, he was doing this and this and this and this. They're both justifying what they do by the circumstance of their spouse. Listen, your life does not flow out of your circumstances. It flows out of your heart. Jesus Christ had the most difficult circumstances of any human being there ever was, and he never sinned because his life flowed from his heart. So we can't blame the other person. We can't say, well, my evil thoughts were because of the evil TV, or I know I put us more in debt and spent money I didn't have, but that awesome shopping mall just went up across the road and the sales were so good that I just couldn't help it. This is just another way to illustrate. So we think in our heart. For example, let's take a woman worrying about her children getting hurt. She's worrying about it. She's thinking about it. She's meditating on it. She has two idols, let's say here, safety in her children. Rather than God being number one, safety is number one, and her children are number one or number one and two, however you want to think about it. But the heart that thinks wrongly is going to have wrong affections about God and is going to come out with behavior, maybe a controlling behavior or an isolating behavior. This is just an example of how what you think affects what you love and will come out of your heart. It will come out. 
So what is the heart? The heart is the soul of a person, the center of the human being, the part that when you die, doesn't go out of existence, your body dies, but your soul does not. Your soul will spend eternity either with God in heaven or eternity separated from the presence of God in hell. So we think out of our heart, we desire, we worry in our heart, we have depression, we love in our heart, we act out of our heart. Second question, what does it mean to guard, keep, and watch your heart? Because Proverbs 4.23 said, above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance, we're to guard it. So we ought to ask, well, what does it mean to guard my heart? See if you can figure out question two after we uh, go through Proverbs 4 here. Jesus also said it this way. You, you, you might ask the question, well, how important is it that I guard my heart? Here's how Jesus says it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now, this is crazy. This illustration by Jesus is amazing. Because people will give away their soul for far less than the world. The entire world. All the money. All the power all the pleasure. Jesus says, if you get it all, but you forfeit your soul, it's a bad transaction. It's it's not a worthy transfer. So it's important that we answer the question, what does it mean to guard your heart? Well, here's first of all why you need to. Life in a fallen world can bring many hard things like death, Abuse, divorce, a tornado can wipe your house away, lost job, jerk boss, spiritual warfare, cancer. Think of how all those things can affect your thinking. Think of all, how all those things can affect your affection towards God. Are you tempted? To doubt God's goodness in light of these circumstances? I think if we're honest, we all are. What are we to have faith in, in a fallen world with so much difficulty? How can we be protected in a fallen world? What How can we guard our hearts? How can the most valuable thing we have, our soul, other than God, our soul, nothing's more valuable than your soul. How do you, what does it mean to guard it? What I want to do is look at Proverbs 4. Here's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. 
Because we began in verse 23, but we're going to read the proverb all the way through, and we're going to seek to answer the question, what does it mean to guard our hearts? Now, in preaching class, they taught us one of the important things to do is to find the imperative in the text. Find the command. You're going to get a clue as to what your sermon is to be about when you see the application, the command. In most texts, most bodies of truth have one or two. Surprisingly, there are 29 imperatives that I can count in Proverbs 4. This is a proverb written by Solomon to his sons, plural. Solomon was given wisdom by God in a way that no man had apart from Christ. This wisdom ultimately culminates in Christ. So the Holy Spirit spoke through Solomon as he wrote Proverbs 4 to give us the words of God in Proverbs 4. But it's pointing forward to the point where we get to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to someone who uh, believes in another faith. And, And I was talking to one gentleman one time And he was telling me that, yes, he's a Christian, but then he, that was the first light that he got, but then he has experienced more visions, more words, a a greater enlightenment. And it was similar to how uh, Buddhism might work. And he was trying to convince me that he was so thankful that I saw the light of Christ but that I need to take the next step. And I told him, I'll never do it. He says, why not? I point him to this verse. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is no greater step up. He argues in Colossians 2.9 that in Christ is the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you've been filled in him. If you're full, you don't need to get more full. He is God. All the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ. So, let's look at Proverbs 4. Everything in red is an imperative, a command. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive. Hear, be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, who's Solomon's father? King David, right? When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba, he taught me and said to me, let your heart Hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments. 
Remember, we're reading this to find out what does it mean to guard our hearts? Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And she will keep you, love her. And she will guard you. So not only know it in your mind, but love wisdom of Father's instruction. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She is the wisdom. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on your head a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, accept my words that the words of your life may be many. Now listen, this is a father with a son saying, Son, son, listen to my words. Listen to my commandments and you will live. There's two counselors he has in mind here. Himself and the wicked. Here's what he says. I've taught you the way of wisdom. Listen to my words, son. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you won't stumble. I lay a path out for you, son. If you walk on it, you won't be hampered. You can even run and you're not going to trip. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. You see that? Three more commands there. Keep hold. Do not let go. Guard her or keep her. What does Jesus say? Blessed is the one who hears my word and keeps it. Because there's another counselor out there. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. This is a redundant father, right? Listen to my words. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk on it. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. I wonder... Right now, what is God bringing to your mind? How are you standing at the path of the wicked? Maybe you've been trotting out on it. Maybe you've been going down it for a long time. Maybe you've been insane and stiff-armed your father and his words. My prayer is, is the Holy Spirit will waken you by His grace. (laughs) Remind you of the value of God's Word. He says, don't listen to those counselors, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. Think, a little kid with his father, 
The father only wants good for him. Don't listen to the wicked. Their character's bad. They can't sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've caused someone to stumble. Do you really want to go to that counselor? You really want to go to the one that sits there and thinks about how they're going to do harm to you? I know there's children here, but let's be honest. It's worse than this. A soul for all eternity. When we leave God's words and follow the wicked. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And Solomon's saying, son, listen to my words. Hold my commandments. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full, full day. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When you look into God's word, when you hang on to God's word, it's a never ending. When you're clinging to it by faith, the path gets brighter and brighter. That doesn't mean your life goes easier. But how to navigate life by faith, trusting God, gets brighter and brighter. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. Now, this is the state of the world. This is the state of every non-believer. They're suffering. They're hurting. Their relationships are broken. There's so much hurt and sin. And yet they can come. They can come to a counselor and say, I got a drinking problem. My relationship with my spouse is falling apart. They're, they want all that fixed, but they don't even know where they're stumbling over because they don't know how their life works. They want someone to give them new circumstances. And yet, they have no way of beginning to get on the right path without knowing Christ. Without accepting his words. So which counselor do you want? Do you want to listen to the counsel of your father or do you want to walk in the way of the wicked? And he says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. How many times can this father say it? Is this not the most redundant piece of literature you've ever read? Don't let go. Be attentive. Incline your ear. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart over and over and over again. I do this right at the beginning because nobody really, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people come to get help because they want their circumstances changed not to learn how to live by faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. So why do they care about what the Bible says? Well, they have to see the result of trusting God's word as opposed to not trusting God's word. (laughs) 
And then we get to our text we started with. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So what does Solomon mean when he says to keep your heart? Do you know now? How do you guard your heart? If you're supposed to do this above all else, how does a Christian guard his heart? By knowing God's word, hearing God's word, loving God's word, acting according to God's word. That's why I say you're insane. If you've just been living life with your heart totally exposed, who cares what comes into my mind? Who cares what I think about? Who cares what I love? Oh, how did this bad action pop up? Man, I must have got that from my grandpa. No, you got it from your thinking, from your lack of trusting God's word and loving, clinging to, abiding with God's word. Here's the 29 imperatives. There might be more. That's just my count. This is how you guard your heart. But not in general, but specifically. You don't read this to get your little devotions done. You're entering a war field in a fallen world. There is a spiritual war going on and you'll either strut out into the world or you'll go to God's word saying, Lord, just give me one promise to hang on to today. Let me see something about your character that I'm going to cling to by faith today. This isn't going through the motions. This is guarding my heart according to your word. Are you satisfied with not, without getting through this? It's more valuable than gold? Let's just see what it looks like walking. I know we're running out of time here. Let, let's look at Psalm 4, verse 6. I was trying to illustrate this. So we live by faith in God's word alone. We're going to look at what it looks like to walk by faith, all right? Sometimes I feel really anxious before I go to bed. The world can seem to crumble in on me when I go to bed. But I have some strong words to help me on those nights. Strong words. David is running for his life. His son Absalom's trying to kill him and he's sleeping in the wilderness and he pens these words. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David says, Lord, if you'll just look at me and have a relationship with me and hear my prayers, I have more joy in my heart I know I'm running for my life and my son wants to kill me and it's the worst circumstances anyone could ever imagine. But I have more joy in my heart than when my circumstances were good. If you look upon me, in peace I'll both lie down and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. 
What's going to make you go to sleep at night? How frantically do you have to go on the internet to find answers to all your problems? Can you say, Lord, you're in control. I know more got done making this slide last night. My mom calls me. It's about 11 o'clock at night. And she says, I only got a minute. Dad's in the emergency room with chest pain. There's an abnormal EKG. I got to go. Hangs up. And I thought, okay. I wanted them to feel what it feels like rubber meets the road. I guess God wants me to figure out what it feels like rubber meets the road. One of my biggest fears ever since I was a kid was my dad dying. My dad's dad died of a heart attack at 42 years old. I thought for sure my dad was going to die before then. I must have prayed uh, over 100,000 prayers that my dad wouldn't die of a heart attack. I was captivated by worry and fear. I was never taught how to cling to God's words. The fact that he's in control and things like that. So I get a call at about one in the morning from my sister. I get a text and they went in, did an angiogram, 99% blockage in the widowmaker artery in his heart. And they put a stint in. You, you got to live off specific promises. I go lay in bed. I feel helpless. But I'm going, Lord, I'm going to sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. Psalm 3 is another one of David's. He's same circumstance, running for his life from Absalom. He says in verse 5, I lay down and slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves all around me. Because in verse 3, he says, you're a shield about me. This is what it looks like to walk by faith. Here's another one. Keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? What reason do you give us? I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus says. You don't have to love money. I'm not leaving you or forsaking you. All right. I got to go fast here. How are we to think, feel, and act in response to the circumstances of our life? Here's what the world will tell you authentically. Doesn't matter how you respond as long as it's you. As long as it's authentic. Here's what the Bible says. By faith according to the truth revealed in my word. Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. We don't live by our feelings, our emotions. They don't drive us. God's word does. We attach to them by faith and our emotions come in line to God's word. One last one and then we got to stop here. 
Here's how Paul says it. Here's what it looks like to walk by faith. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what one everyone sows, that will he also reap. He says this. If you want to mock God, put a corn seed in the ground and say a bean plant's coming up. You're mocking God if you say that. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And then he says, for the one who sows to his own flesh. So the way you sow to your flesh is you don't live by faith according to God's words, but according to whatever you think. So you think by yourself, you love by yourself, you act by yourself, you will reap corruption. It's a guarantee because God's not mocked. But he says the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You might not feel like going to this book, guarding your heart by God's word, but you got a promise. God is not mocked. If you go here and you attach to God's word by faith, eternal life fruit, fruits of the Spirit will come up. That corn seed might not pop up today, but it will, and it comes with a promise. And so we live by faith according to God's word. So the real question is, what's your circumstances? How have you been thinking about them? Where have your affections been? How have you reacted? What have you been doing? Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here's all the fruit that comes, all the promises that Solomon gives his sons. If you will guard your heart by his word. Then he tells them to go to action at the end of Proverbs 4. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. What it means to hear and keep God's word is to cling to it by faith. It'll guard your soul. And I just want to get to the gospel here. For Christ also suffered once for sins. If you're sitting here saying, how do I get in on Christ? Here's what you need to know. Jesus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The Bible says you're not righteous. You're not good. You have to admit it. And the perfect one, the one who never sinned, came and bore the wrath of God in your place so that... He might bring us to God. We get to have a relationship with God, not because we became good people, but because we admitted we were bad people and we received Christ, the one who came to save us from our sins, that which we couldn't save ourselves from. You can go to peace tonight with a relationship with God. All your sins washed away. You can pray to him. And he'll hear you. His words and promises are to you. And you can cling to them. If you'll grab onto him by faith. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we would not take for granted. That we would live by faith according to it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.